Hi, I'm Iris Muller. I'm a certified rehabilitation counselor and a proud mom of two children, one of whom has quadriplegic cerebral palsy and is nonverbal. And I'm Alma Schneider, a licensed clinical social worker and the proud mom of four children, one of whom has Prader-Willi syndrome. In this podcast, we discuss the uncensored truth about raising kids with disabilities. Prepare to laugh, cry, and hopefully learn something new. This is Two Moms No Fluff. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Two Moms No Fluff. I'm Alma Schneider, and I'm not with my partner today, Iris Miller, but I am here for part two of Maria Linietsky, who we had part one talk about all of her uh, thoughts about being a person who has autism or an autistic person, as she likes to, to say. And uh, we are going to start with her doing a presentation of a poem that she read and wrote at the Disability Pride Parade, the second annual Disability Pride Parade in Montclair. So, Maria, welcome again to part two of Maria Lineette. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm honored to be here. Thank you. And so, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing your poem again. <laughs> so, um, this is a poem that I wrote called um, Autistic Joy, Myths and Facts. Myth. Autistic people have narrow interests. Fact, our interests and passions only look narrow from the outside. If you let us welcome you into these seemingly narrow spaces, you'll find broad expanses of joy and staggering depths of insight and refractions of revelation in the underground crystal caves we call our special interests. Myth, stimming is pointless and disruptive. Fact, stimming is joy. Think of how you feel when you're uh, when you're locked in rhythm, playing air guitar to a solo you can almost touch, a sharp, spi silent spike of a mind needle drops down to vibrate through the conduit groove of our surroundings. Stimming is like that, a love language, our love language to the world around us, to ourselves, of ourselves, and we'll shout it from the rooftops with loud hands that can't be silenced. Myth. By avoiding eye contact during conversations, autistic people miss out on deep, intimate communication. Fact, I'm sure you've been here just after sundown on the open road, cruising at 60 beneath the deepening sky, just you and your best friend by the glow of the dashboard having the deepest conversation of your lives. And are you making eye contact? Do you get it now? Myth, autistic people can't find love or true friendship. Fact. Yes, we can, especially with other autistic people. The theory of double empathy made me cry happy tears when I heard about it. There is nothing like the joy of connecting with someone on the same emotional register, on the same wavelength, like whales across the ocean, like AM radio after nightfall. Someone speaking your mother tongue, completing your circuit, someone at the party who transforms your I want to go home into home is where I want to be, but I guess I'm already there. Myth. Mild autism is a thing. Fact. Your experience of our autism is mild. Our internal worlds can be intense, five sense, five alarm fire, every detail of 3D IMAX fresco, every noise a rippling soundscape, a flavor profile wrought from, against, and despite the pain. Flame and hot autism, too spicy for you to comprehend. Myth. You don't seem autistic. 
is a compliment. Fact, that's like complimenting a black person on their ability to pass for white, or complimenting a gay person on exchanging a foot in the grave for a foot in the closet. Don't compliment me on masking. It's a survival skill I wish I never had to learn about, let alone use. Myth. Autistic people are inspirational. Fact. Yes, autistic people can be inspiring, just like all kinds of people can be inspiring. But don't commodify us as inspirational, like a cheesy motivational poster or a soundtrack by Vangelis. We do not exist for the purpose of inspiring you, and stop assigning us with traits based solely on the way we affect your lives. Myth. Autistic adults absolutely love to be compared to superheroes. Fact. If you're going to call us superheroes, then confront the fact that you traffic in kryptonite, that you force us to construct alter egos to survive daily life, and you make us feel as if the usefulness of our powers is the only thing that keeps us from being freaks. Myth, autism is not a disability. Fact, you can't say that if you refuse to, how, to acknowledge how capitalism and systemic ableism devalued our strengths, turned our sensitivities into obstacles, and made autism into a disability. Myth. Autistic people are valuable because they're talented. Fact. Yes, we are talented, but we shouldn't be valued solely for the saleable content and cultural capital we can generate for your economy. Autistic people are valuable because we're people. Myth. We need a cure for autism. Fact. I don't need a cure for me. Not for me. Not for us. Me is not a disease. Us is not a sickness. We are not an epidemic. And that cure wouldn't be for us anyway. It would be for your own sake. And if you want to find a cure for your own sake and for your own sickness, Work with us towards a cure for ableism, not autism. Myth. Autism is something that only exists in children. Fact. Autism is not a photo of a little boy pasted to a donation jar, a before picture on an ABA brochure, a puzzle piece fragment of a life waiting to be forced into a framework. Autism is David Byrne dancing barefoot on stage with a 12-piece band, singing There's Millions of Ways to Be Free. Autism is Hannah Gadsby breaking comedy and rebuilding it with the tenacity of someone who spent their life rebuilding broken things from the inside out. Autism is Greta Thunberg and her generation of climate activists, and all the online self-advocates cultivating our grassroots victory garden in a war-torn world. Autism is an identity, a vibrant interconnected culture, a diaspora from a homeland we wish you could see. It is us, and we are not going away. Amazing. I think Thank you. just put into words, I mean, again, I am not autistic. I do not have autism, but I imagine that you have put into words what a lot of people feel and um, that people don't search out, don't seek out to listen to, to, to fully understand. And I think that your poem, the reason why so many people in our town were just so blown away by it and the fact that I would just walk down the street after the parade and people would just say, who was that young woman who read that poem? I mean, it really, I think it spoke to so many people and to so many parents. Um, and it's just, it's just 
forget about the fact that it's about autism. It's really about, I mean, it's just, it's so beautifully written, period. And you're just, you know, you. It's, it's incredible. Okay. So I'm glad we got everybody to hear the poem because we didn't have enough time for it last, last for the first part of our episode. So I'm glad that we got, um, got everyone to hear that. And I would like, and I'm sure everyone else listening would like to hear some of your other thoughts because um, I know we didn't get to cover everything in episode one. So do you want to take it from here and just touch on some topics that you felt were important to express? Sure. I, um, I remember I said at the end of... Um, at the end of um, episode of the episode part one, that there were some topics I wanted to touch on, um, namely why I use identity first language, uh -huh. why you should always be open with your autistic kids about their neurotype, uh -huh. how um, saying autism doesn't define me isn't entirely correct, uh -huh. and how autism isn't something to be overcome why functioning labels such as high functioning and low functioning are harmful and why I say support needs instead mm -hmm. and why my why I'm glad my parents never put me through ABA or applied behavioral analysis and things you can do to help your autistic kid to help understand um, connect with them and help them live a vibrant full health healthy life and advocate for themselves great so which one do you want to start with <laughs> I think I want to start with identity first language. Okay, great. So I, um, I identify as autistic, like a, the noun, the way you could say, um, the way you could say, I am a lesbian, or I am Puerto Rican, or I am a software engineer, or something. It's an identity. Mm -hmm. um, saying with Saying with autism implies that autism is something external to who you are. Mm -hmm. And the, the common analogy that I often hear is we don't call kids with cancer cancerous. Well, with that, you're comparing. The thing you need to understand here is autism is not a disease and it shouldn't be treated as a disease and used uh, and set equal to a disease in analogies. It's, um, it's a neurotype, a natural part of human diversity. Mm -hmm. So um, people often talk about person first language as in person with autism. Mm -hmm. But I remember an analogy that really helped me um, wrap my head around why person-first language is sort of out of sync with the disability rights movement is think about referring to an Asian person as with Asian-ness or a gay person as with homosexuality. Mm -hmm. it's, it externalizes a piece of the identity. Mm -hmm. And the fact, and honestly, we, it should be implied that autistic people are people. We don't need to, we don't need to do more linguistic work to justify our personhood. And um, I think this is a very new concept for a lot of people, you know, especially people who are older and who are parents because um, they, we, 
um, being I'm saying being a parent of a child with a disability, that um, that we see it as the disability as a part of who they are. It's not everything that they are. So I think that it it is hard for some people to wrap their head around that this is because it sounds like saying that person is autistic that makes them that's the only thing that people will think about them that they have autism as opposed to she's a poet she's a you know she's a fashion designer she's this she's also autistic um or has oh. autism you know it's i think that it's hard for people especially you know older people who have been trained in that in that lane that you know that's offensive just to, to say that person is schizophrenic or that person is, you know, I, I used to work on a psychiatric unit. And to say, you know, that person is schizophrenic, that person is, you know, bipolar, that person is, you know, um, a depressive. These were things that were hurtful and offensive. So it's a real, it's, I know that it's a, it's a um, discussion, a debate that's often had uh, with a lot of tension sometimes with parents and with adults who have parents of children with disabilities or disabled children and adults um, who are disabled or who choose to say they have a disability. It's complicated. It's, uh, it's complicated, but what you're saying, it makes sense. You know, it makes sense. And it's, and if, if this is what adults with disabilities are, are feeling and believe, then is it your, how would you, how would you, I mean, you're talking to parents here in this podcast. Um, is there anything that you'd like to say to them, to us, about um, about the way that they're talking about their kids? In like starting from a young age, do you think that the child should have the freedom to talk about their label when they get older and the parents are okay to use a label as the kids are little, or do you think from day one it should be this person is autistic? As opposed to this like, autism. And am I making sense? I feel like, um, although this obviously doesn't apply to babies, um, definitely if you're talking to someone who's on the autism spectrum and you're going to be writing a journalistic article about them or something, or if you're or if you're um, their teacher, then ask them whether they prefer um, person first or identity first language, because it can be a very it can be a very personal thing. Yes. Mm -hmm. And generally, um, I remember I took a journalism class that said uh, we were um, there was one lesson about like um, linguistic, like sociolinguistics. Mm -hmm. And generally, if you, it's best to say uh, sort of the most neutral way, the most depoliticized way of referring to autism is you could say this person is on the autism spectrum or this person is part of the autistic community. Okay. So that's, so that's a, what that's I often use. Mm -hmm. that's, that's helpful because I think a lot of people don't know how the other person feels and they don't want to put their foot in their mouth. They don't want to offend them. So that's really helpful to say this yeah. person is on the autism spectrum. 
yeah, on the autism spectrum or on the spectrum, it's just like a, it's like a very, very useful umbrella term that I often use to describe, to describe myself to adults, sometimes more conservative adults whose mental image of autistic is just like some bizarrely simplified thing like Rain Man or whatever they were taught in the 70s. Right, right. And, All right, well, that's um, really helpful. That's really helpful. All right, I'm going to be the timekeeper here. Let's move on to the next one. <laughs> I want to make sure we get it all in. I already touched on this in the last episode, but you should always be open. If, you're, if your kids are on the autism spectrum, you should always be open with them about their neurotype. Teach them. Tell them about tell them about the theory of neurodiversity from the, from when they're a kid. Mm -hmm. It's, it's pretty easy to explain. It's, um, I've had, um, I've explained, uh, an easy way to explain it is it's sort of like how, um, regular human, it's sort of like how physical diversity works. Like some people have lighter skin in order to absorb more vitamin D from the sun. Some people have um, darker skin to, um, it's just, it's all related to uh, differences. <laughs> it's all related to differences. There are some people who are very, uh, who are very strong and stocky. There are some people who very who are very lithe and agile. Mm -hmm. And if you look back, if you look back at the craftsmen of the Middle Ages and the, the monks who would illuminate books, people often believe that these monks and craftsmen were were autistic because they I'm sorry, I hope I'm not losing my train of thought. No, it's okay, but they because, thought that they were autistic in the Middle Ages. Because they were able to focus very deeply on something very specialized. Most people, uh, most neurotypical people wouldn't be able to illuminate an entire Celtic Psalter or something like that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. But if you look up um, the influence of autistic craftsmen in the history of the printing press and of bookmaking in general. It's truly fascinating. Mm. And so we have existed since time immemorial. We are the, we have been the craftsmen. We have been the people who chronicle things. Mm -hmm. We have, we have been the people who make lists of which mushrooms you can eat, which mushrooms you can't. Um, positive, I think, these positive skills you're saying is a way to explain it to children, all these positive yeah. attributes that allow people to focus and who allow people to, to be artistic and creative is a way to instill pride, yeah. I would imagine. It applies to neurodiversity in general. Like, yeah. for instance, um, uh, people with ADHD, uh, they were believed to, they were believed to have been the hunters. Uh, they they were believed to have evolved from, I am not an evolutionary biologist by any, any means. I feel like if my parents hadn't told me 
Mm -hmm. I was autistic early on as a kid. Mm -hmm. I would have attributed a lot of the struggles that I had, such as struggles with making small talk or struggles mm -hmm. with avoiding talking about religion and politics or struggles mm -hmm. with um, sensory issues, mm -hmm. things like that. I just would have attributed them to personal failings. I would have thought of myself as somebody who was overdramatic and oversensitive and shallow and things like that. But I just were able to understand knowing that I had a neurological explanation for the struggles that I had just helped protect my self-esteem a great deal. It helped me to be patient with myself. It helped them to be patient with me. And it helped it helped me learn how to advocate for myself. Great. All right. Well I think it's really useful information for for yes. parents. Parents. Um, All right. Great. Should I talk about functioning labels? Yes, please. All right. So this is something I found out pretty recently, about two and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. I was always referred to as high functioning, mm -hmm. uh, which was always presented as something of a compliment or something of a caveat. Like, oh, she has autism, but she's high functioning. Don't worry. Right. <sighs> Generally, the adult autistic community and the disability justice movement as a whole overwhelmingly rejects functioning labels mm -hmm. because they're, they're very simplistic. Mm -hmm. um, generally, the line between what would be considered high functioning and what would be considered low functioning is verbal oral speech, being able to speak with your mouth parts. Right. And, there are some people who, there are, there are plenty of autistic people who are nonverbal, mm -hmm. who are truly brilliant and can type dozens and dozens of words per minute and are very adept at using alternative augmentative communication strategies such as mm -hmm. communication boards and uh, text-to-speech. Mm -hmm. And denying the fact, calling them low functioning because they they communicate in a in a different way mm -hmm. just sort of sort of shows the fetishism that we put on verbal speech and mm -hmm. the idea of um, also i like to think of um, high functioning, uh, the idea of functioning labels is sort of like the ableism equivalent of colorism. Mm. Um, you're seen as more worthy and more valuable and more acceptable and more comforting to be around the closer you are, the closer, the more closely you resemble the dominant group. Mm -hmm. So um, the idea of splitting autistic people into sort of a hierarchy leading uh -huh. up to those who can most successfully impersonate neurotypicals is just a divisive what it's a divisive way that it's a divisive thing that demeans people who have higher support needs what i generally use is i say i talk about in terms of support needs mm -hmm. meaning um instead of saying high functioning, you could say someone has low support needs. Right. Or instead of saying low functioning, you could say that someone has high support needs. It's um, sort of like how there's been a linguistic shift from 
saying homeless to saying unhoused. Yes. It puts the onus on a person's relationship with their community and it avoids putting anybody's identity in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, yeah, and generally calling someone low functioning is also, it's been a way to delegitimize. It, it can be used as a way to delegitimize someone's views as uh, a way of um, discriminating against people with intellectual disabilities. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, it can be a way of infantilizing people. Mm -hmm. While on, on the flip side, referring to someone as high functioning is a way of minimizing the struggles that they have to go through every day. Right. Um, and sometimes it can even lead to the phenomenon of autistic people with low support needs being um, stripped of their platform because they're not autistic enough to have their personal experiences apply to the neurotypical audiences mm -hmm. fun mm -hmm. generally a lot of what I there's kind of an in-joke in the autistic community about how whenever you meet a parent of an autistic kid they're always like oh but you're nothing like my son mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Um, also, and they mean it as a, they are well intentioned, but they don't realize when they're saying that 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 is something that is offensive or it's hurtful. Uh, maybe not to you directly, but to the entire disability community, yeah. and that's you know that yeah. doesn't feel good and for anyone. <laughs> support needs versus function. Talking about someone in terms of how they function is a, a way of like. It's a very capitalist thing. It's a way of like economically quantifying how much they're capable of creating. Mm. While support needs is more of a family framework. You're right. It's um, not related to how much someone can, how much someone can generate, but uh, how much support someone needs to thrive. Yeah, that's a beautiful way of putting it. And I, I think that, that that really resonates with me um that kind of a, an explanation i've written some bullet points about this um, things you can do to help and advocate for your autistic kid mm -hmm. many parents after getting after their kid gets an autism diagnosis do this cavalcade of research mm -hmm. and that's a it's a good thing to be well versed in your child's neurotype Mm -hmm. But it's just as important, if not more, to read about the experiences, experiences of actually autistic adults, because we have written a lot of rather brilliant stuff mm -hmm. designed to educate you. Mm -hmm. um, I suggest you... Um, a book that was sort of a landmark for me was uh, Neurotribes by Steve Silverman, mm -hmm. which Steve Silverman isn't autistic himself, but he interviews a lot of autistic people, a lot of um, psychologists and therapists and professionals. Mm -hmm. um, I suggest um, you watch um, Amethyst Shaver's series, Ask an Autistic, which is just a very, 
very comprehensive, but very straightforward, very user-friendly guide to the autism rights movement. Right. Is um, a series, a TV series? What you said? YouTube you series. A YouTube I could um, write their name in the chat. Yes, I would love to have that and we'll promote that. Make sure that we get that out there on our Instagram and Facebook. And um, also another good thing to look up is another good like entry level thing to look up is um, In My Language by Mel Baggs. Okay. Mel Baggs um, was uh, the late Mel Baggs was a, a disability rights advocate mm -hmm. and um, there they were nonverbal, mm -hmm. but they they were very adept at um were very adept at uh text to speech mm -hmm. and they had a they had a fascinating blog for um several years mm -hmm. and they're they're just a they were just a very witty person in general and so in my language is um a video they made in the early 2000s about um uh, their experience of stimming mm -hmm. or self-stimulatory behavior and how it helps them to feel connected to their environment, how it helps them express themselves. Um, I suggest that um, you, um, another really, an Instagram account that really helped educate me in the beginning of um, my, research awakening was um, the autistic cats the autistic, gone, the autistic cats they're a group of um, queer college students who are i mean i would if i knew them i would be best friends with them honestly <laughs> because i'm a queer college student of sorts and they have some truly brilliant and they have some truly brilliant posts mm -hmm. and just hearing about autism from the young adult perspective is extremely important yeah, Honestly, because still, we have like one foot in childhood and one foot in adulthood so we could be sort of the ambassadors yes and um the speechologist is another uh dr vivian tc who is an autistic uh speech language pathologist mm -hmm. is a um, also another great instagram account but they often get into the more uh, intersectional aspects of the, of the disability justice movement because the disability justice movement is by definition intersectional. And mm -hmm. um, Dr. Vivian TC is, is queer and trans and Asian and Latine. And they just, a lot of their posts are sort of tales from the trenches of trying to, um, trying to dismantle the ableism of the mainstream special ed education and um, speech language pathology pedagogy. Wow. All right. Well, I, I, I don't want to cut you off, but we're going to have to end because we're, it's going to cut us off. But I want to thank you so much. We're going to continue talking about this stuff, um, but you've given us so much to think about. And um, we thank everybody for listening in to Two Moms No Fluff. And Maria, we are so grateful to have your knowledge, wisdom, and experience.
For more information, please go to www.twomomsnofluff.com. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and give it a five-star rating so more people can hear it. Thank you.